0: Thank you. In the midst of this crazy world, one of the greatest blessings that we have as a church family, as brothers and sisters, is to come to this moment of communion where we remember and we celebrate the hope we have in Jesus. So I welcome you all here today as as we move into this this most magnificent point of our worship service each week as as remembering and celebrating and giving God glory for what he's done in Jesus. Hey, today we wrap up this short sermon series called uh, Living Sacrifice. It's only been uh, two weeks long. Last week, if you missed it, Ben Allen did an amazing job. If you missed it, go to YouTube or or log on to our uh, website and listen to that. You can hear passion and purpose as Ben shared with us the idea of being a living sacrifice. That, That worship is so much more than what we do in this building, but worship is being changed on a daily basis by what God has done for us and who he is. He did an amazing job. Let's praise God for Ben. Thank you, Ben, for doing that last week. Today, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to be um, led by Core 52, Mark Moore's book. I, I pray that if you still have that book, you're, you're reading it. This week was challenging to me. I learned some things I'm going to share with you. We're also being led by God and the Holy Spirit. As we come together, as Jesus said, what we're going to practice, what we're going to participate in is, is from Jesus in communion. Hey, if you're new to Greenville First Christian Church Or maybe you're not even sure if you want to be a father of Christ yet. You may be thinking, I'm not even sure if I should be here today. I've went to communion services before where where I'm not welcome. I want you to know if you're a believer of Jesus, if you've made him uh, the king of your life, communion today is open to you. You may be here as a a kindergartner. I know we've got the, the children in the room today. This is very much for you as well. We need to, as a family, get on the same page of what we believe and why we practice communion it's an exciting time. You may be thinking, maybe I shouldn't be no, be here. I am, I'm excited you're here. I'm thankful you're here so we can move forward together. Because if you're not familiar with the traditions, with the customs of what Jesus says in practicing communion, it can be awkward at times to be in a church service. I've been there to not know what I should do or what I shouldn't do. Today I want you to know our communion is open to all who, who honor Christ and believe in him. Today we're going to take time to, to clearly see what we do and why in communion. Because at times in life, if we don't know the details, we can just kind of guess, and it can be dangerous. It can even be a matter of life and death. I know of at least one example that was my youngest son, Drake. He didn't know the details of his new pet fish. When he was in kindergarten, he received an aquarium and some fish for his birthday. And we kind of empowered him very quickly to, to be in charge of his aquarium and his fish. Uh, a couple of weeks of feeding the fish and kind of taking care of the aquarium, we're like, Drake, this is yours. And he was all about it. It was exciting time for Drake. But then about a month into it, we started noticing that a fish or two was dying weekly. Okay? I don't know if any of you can relate to that with the children in the room. Sometimes it's connected to overfeeding. I'll be the first to admit, you just, you, every time you pass by an aquarium or a fishbowl, it's tempting to feed them. It's, it's, it's like kind of petting a dog. It's your only interaction with them. You're like, okay, here. And before you know it, they're bloated and the, the, the water's dirty and the fish are dead. I thought that's what he was doing. Okay. But then I went went up to his room, I noticed the tank was crystal clear. And the fish, were instead of bloated, were really thin. I'm like, maybe he's not feeding them at all. So I asked Drake, I said, Drake, when do you feed your fish? And with confidence, he said, oh, Dad, uh, I I feed them uh, only on the weekends, but never on Sunday. (laughs) Think about that for a second. And I said, Drake, I think your fish are hungry. I think we should feed them. And we, we figured out that detail. But sometimes when we don't know the details in life, things can be confusing, and it can be a matter of life and death. Guys, I want you to know... If we get distracted by the details and and we don't focus on what's most important, the Word of God says mishandling communion can be a matter of life and death for our souls and our physical bodies. There's so many things that, that we can mess up with communion because we've made human details all around, but God's Word is going to be specific today on what we should do as we come to remember Christ and celebrate His sacrifice and resurrection. There's so many different things that we have added to communion, just like a bunch of different names, and they're not all bad. Uh, the, the primary name for communion is communion, you know, in this church especially. Lord's Supper is very appropriate as well. This idea uh, that the Passover meal had changed into the, the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper, it's very appropriate. Others call it the Eucharist, which is intimidating. If, if you've never understood the Eucharist, you may like, that just sounds like a foreign word. It's a Greek word that literally means to give thanks. It's perfect for this meal to, to represent this is the Eucharist. As we celebrate the body and blood of Christ, to give thanks for it. There's a lot of things, though, that that we add to communion at time that just get confusing. Because we also have had different experiences when we consider what we live through, what we we know. For the last 40 years of my life, or the first 40 years of my life, communion was very similar almost every time I was around it. Even as a, a kindergartner, maybe you're in the room and you're in kindergarten and you're yet not taking communion because you've not given your life to Jesus. Your parents said, hey, you're going to wait until you make Jesus your Lord. Uh, I I was still around communion age four or five. I was paying attention. And for about 40 years, it was done the same way. We passed communion trays. The trays were about this big and, and brass and, and they had holes of where you would have the little communion cup you guys know it and you'd pass it along In the center of that was another tray that often had the bread and, and as it passed by you took a, a piece of bread and, and you ate it and then you took the cup and you drank the juice and then you pass it to your neighbor. How many of you remember that most of your life? That's the way we did it. Occasionally though I'd go to my friend's church, and instead of everybody getting their own cup, everybody would share out of one cup. And I want you to know, even before COVID, that made the germaphones very nervous. Okay, And I would go there and be like, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. I don't know if I'm really supposed to partake, whether it was dipping or, or actually drinking from the cup. Sometimes we, we have different experiences. So what's right, what's right and what's wrong? And then about 18 months ago, we started using these, these single-serving communion cups. And we're doing it in the name of safety, and, and I'm all for that. We're going to continue to do this for, for a matter of time. But I long for the way I grew up, the tradition of passing along. But that was made by men. They did not have the, the, the brass communion trays when Jesus first instituted communion, okay? Nor did they have this. You might be asking, what's in here? That's a great question, what's in this. I don't know. <laughs> I think underneath this uh, plastic is some low-grade styrofoam, Okay. And then underneath that is some, like, uh, snow cone grape juice that's kind of went awry, all right? But we know what it represents, so we're going to study that today. But we all have these different experiences. Some of you have understood lately that you believe you have to have some special training to open up this this first layer. Or you have to be clergy to be able to enter into the contents. I want you to know, as a pastor, there's no special, like, pass that we get opening these up. There was one day I was up here early on, and I was trying to be very serious. I never got into this during communion, okay? Just it, it can happen. We have these traditions. We have these things that we hold to as, as serious to honor Christ. But I want you to know one of the things that, that we do is to continue to do it every week. And one of the, one of the things that we're going to share in is... Some form of bread that represents unleavened bread. This is this is probably something very similar to what the originally would have shared with in the Passover meal. And this is bread without yeast. It it has never risen. It, it was, it was uh, prepared quickly. And we also choose to use grape juice. And here's why. From as long as I know, the well before me, that the church, our church movement, has chosen to use non-alcoholic juice because we do not want to be a stumbling block for anyone who's committed to not partake in alcohol. And it also allows, if your kindergartner believes in uh, Lord Jesus as their Savior, it's not confusing that they're able to drink alcohol at church. That could really be confusing for their minds. So we use grape juice, and that's why. But what we use, or what we don't use, is not nearly as important as the why in what we do with it. So today we're going to slow down as believers of Christ and wrestle with not only the what, but most importantly the why behind communion. See, because each time that we gather and worship and we share in communion, we are doing, here's, here's the thing that'll blow your mind if you really wrestle with this, we are doing what Christ has passed on to us to do. This institution, this uh, amazing, miraculous sacrament of our faith is passed on to us through Jesus himself. And that's why it has the highest regard among our family, this church. And passed on to us by the Apostle Paul. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We see Paul passing on to us here the instructions that came from Jesus himself. Paul is writing here to the church in Corinth. And the reason he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth and focused on communion for a while is they messed it up. It had only been roughly 25 years prior that he had the Last Supper with his 12 disciples. And he instituted communion as we know it the Eucharist and in less than 25 years the church which is not surprising humans began to make a mess out of communion they made a mess of this meal and the tidbits of the details there was a group that would kind of gather together for worship in homes and they would gather with their closest closest of friends oftentimes in a wealthy person's house and they would keep the people on the outside of their relationships outside the house and while they would have a feast the other people outside the house would go hungry and Paul says you're divided. Some of you are even parting so much you're becoming drunk on the wine and you forgot about your, your person outside that you've invited but you haven't made a place at the table. 25 years into this, the church had made a mess of it. And they were divided. So here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He says, For I receive from the Lord and pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Think about it. When Jesus took the bread during that, that Passover meal and he, he held it up, and he says, this is my body broken for you. He passed that on to his disciples, which has been passed on to each of you, what, no matter what age you are today. That's why I love the whole church families here. This has been passed on to all believers, that we are to remember his broken body and his shed blood. So here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, especially if you're an elementary student in the room, you may have your packet with line number one here. Here's the first one. It's where we're going to spend most of our time. Communion looks backward. It's pretty simple, but when we come to communion, we need to look backward to what Christ has done for us. But communion uh, connected to the Passover looks even further back than the cross. Think about this. When Jesus first sat down at the Passover meal with his disciples, the the, the cross hadn't even happened yet, and they were still remembering the past. That's what the Passover meal was all about. It looked backwards to the exodus of God's people from Egypt about 1,450 B.C., before, before Christ, the Egyptians were in captivity, and they were slaves to the e- Egypt nation. Pharaoh had, had really abused them, and they, they were there for 400 years, and they were crying out, God, free us from slavery. God heard their cries and sent a leader to free his people. His name is Moses. Moses had spent the first 40 years of his life in, as Pharaoh's grandson, as a as an adopted uh, son to uh, uh, his daughter. So he was a prince. He was a prince of Egypt. But he began to have this uh, tension between what was happening as him as a, a prince and how his people were being mistreated. So much so his anger came out on one given day and he killed an Egyptian man. And he fled in shame and he fled in sin. He fled out to uh, the countryside where he became a shepherd to his father-in-law's sheep. Which was really great training for his later to shepherd God's people as they left Egypt. But while he was shepherding sheep, if you know the story, God appeared to him uh, in the form of a burning bush. And he presented Moses with this great challenge to go uh, to Pharaoh and have his people be freed. So Moses reluctantly accepted. And he went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And he went there time after time and he said, no. Uh, Nine different times specifically, he said, let my people go because God had just sent a plague on the Egyptians whether it was frogs or flies or turning the Nile River into blood. And every time Pharaoh would say, no, I'm not going to do it, he became more hard-hearted. And then finally God in the tenth plague sent the death angel. It was a plague of death that would come to each firstborn son of every family. You have your children in with you. Can you imagine going to sleep one night in our entire community waking up to the death of their firstborn? I would be dead. I wouldn't be here today. I'm the firstborn son of my family. My son Dawson wouldn't be here. It wasn't just with children. It was the firstborn male offspring of every herd of animals. Can you imagine the death in a community, in a nation? And God says, I'm going to send this death angel. But Moses, you need to allow your people to know how to to be redeemed, how to have this Passover. And Moses went to his people and gathered all the people together and say, Tonight, as you prepare for the evening meal... Kill a lamb and take that lamb's blood and and smear it over the doorpost, the doorframe of your house, so that when this death angel is released, if it sees the blood over your doorframe, it knows that there's been a sacrifice made and it will pass over and everyone in your household will be safe. But every house who does not have the blood of the sacrificial lamb, that angel will come in and take the firstborn son, the firstborn lamb, everything will find death. So that's exactly what God's people did. They prepared for this Passover by having a Passover meal. And so then the next 1,500 years roughly, as Jewish people uh, had been freed from the Egyptian slavery, God's people shared in a Passover meal. And that's what the disciples are sharing in with Jesus. The Passover meal was extravagant. I'm going to share with you a little bit of the meaning of the Passover meal. Uh, it, it was often displayed on a plate like this, maybe not with the same designs, but there would be these same uh, ingredients that they would celebrate what God had done for the, uh, the nation of Israel, freeing them from Egypt. Uh, the first thing I want to highlight is, is number six, kind of the leafy vegetables or the leafy greens. And, and they were to dis- remind the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites of the life they had in Egypt. And before they would eat it, though, they would dip it into salt water. Reminding that their life was full of tears in Egypt and under great persecution. Another thing they would share in was a, a bitter herb represented here in number four uh, by an onion. They would use an herb or an onion and they would take that, that, that bitter uh, uh, piece of, of, of plant and they would dip it then into some horseradish dish. And then that was represented by number three. And this thing was so bitter, it would be a reminder that their life was bitter. In Egypt and then they would partake in the number five and that was a mixture of walnuts and apples and honey and it was a very sweet mixture and they they would eat that right uh, by itself and it was a reminder of the mortar it was supposed to look like mortar that they would have to make to bring their stones and their and their bricks that they had to make to join them to build the Egyptian empire and it was a reminder of the labor and the bittersweet nature of the labor they had Every plate also had an egg, number two. And this also represented life, from what we understand. But it was not just the life they had in Egypt, but the hope of a new life that come through God's power. But the centerpiece of every plate was the shank bone of the lamb, number one. That would remind them that a lamb had been sacrificed and they had enjoyed its meat and it provided safety as they could be brought out of Egypt. And they would share in that shank bone of the lamb together. Each plate would also be surrounded by cups. And in these cups would be the fruit of the vine, often wine. And they would share in that as a reminder that the blood was spread over the doorposts. And that's what provided them safety in Exodus. There was also a moment where God told Moses to say, I want you to make bread tonight as you prepare for the meal. But you don't have time to have the bread even rise. You need to make bread that is unleavened. It has no yeast. It's thin." And it will be able to pack well with you as you go on your journey. All of these things for the Passover meal had significance that Jesus was living out in the Last Supper with his disciples just before he was arrested. Here's a picture of what the Last Supper we often think about. You can see many of the elements there at the Seder meal, this, this Passover meal. And Jesus is going through all the details of this. This is not probably what it looks like, though. This next picture probably represents maybe what it more look like. Reclining at a low table, they would have all the elements there. You can see the onion. Uh, it's a strange thing to have next to the grapes there. But, but it was a reminder of all these things they went through. And can you imagine being at the table of Jesus at the Passover meal, and he gets to the point where they are sharing in the bread, And he says, this bread is me. He he, he says, after all this time, he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he takes the cup. He says, "Uh, this is is my blood, which is going to be shed for you. This was radical. In the middle of this meal that looked backwards, some 1,500 years, Jesus stepping into time says, this is all pointing to me. And when you partake of this in the future, remember me powerful radical it has been going the same way for 1500 years as so cg says this is this is changing tonight because of what i'm about to do in the future god is always in the business of redeeming his people Jesus said something similar radically about 200 years before. Remember the story where Jesus fed 5,000 men? He he did it with just a a few fish and a few pieces of bread. And 5,000 men plus women and children were fed. Their stomachs were full. Uh, The next day, the Bible says, those same people and more came to Jesus, and they were wanting their bellies to be full again. And Jesus saw through them. He basically says, hey, you want your bellies to be full again, but you need to feed your soul, just not your stomachs. And here's what he says. In John 6, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's radical. You got these 10, 15,000 people wanting to be fed, and Jesus says, Unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood, you have no life. And you know what they said? See you later. You're crazy. We're not cannibals. Jesus already knew, though, as he's ministering, two years before he goes to the cross, he knows that his blood is going to be shed and his body is going to be offered as a sacrifice. And those that don't partake in it have no life. I want you to know the same is true of us today. Unless we realize that it's his body and his blood that make a path for redemption, there is no life for you. You must consume that and own that and know that. Jesus knew it from the beginning, and especially as he shared it with those 5,000 people. And they said, no, thank you. Here's the first thing. Communion helps us look backwards. Here's point number two, though. Communion also looks forward. Look back to the text, chapter 11, verse 26. Paul writes, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here's the cool part. When we have this moment, a minute, when we are sharing a communion, we are looking and proclaiming the future until he comes. Think about it. We have been uh, really sharing in the Passover meal or the Lord's Supper in some way for 4,000 years. How much longer are we going to do it until he comes? I do not know if it's another 4,000 years or another four minutes. We may not even get to it today. That, that, That would be a radical thought. But until he comes, every Sunday, uh, Christians around the world are going to celebrate and proclaim his death until he comes again. Period. That is one of the reasons, and you can listen on the internet and hear it from my mouth today. We are going to be very uh, committed to continuing to gather no matter what happens in the world because the church needs to be doing this until Jesus comes back. We are going to continue to gather in our homes, in this place, as brothers, sisters in Christ, celebrating and committed to honoring and remembering that Jesus died so we could live. How long? Until he comes. Look what it says in, in Luke chapter 22. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. When Jesus is at the, the table, he says, this is the last time I'm going to do this until I come again. But you do this whenever you gather together as a reminder and proclaim that I am coming again until I come. So today we get to be a part of that history looking forward to what's to come. Look what it says. He goes on to say in Luke, verse 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now pay attention to this. This is where it gets hard to understand. You may have never seen this before. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. There's more than one cup? There is. Today, these four cups represent the four cups that are usually connected to a Passover meal or a Seder supper. And each of these cups represents something very different in the life of the the, the Jew and in in our lives today. And and the third cup, I want to give you a heads up because you'll hear it again. The third cup is the cup that we share in communion today. This is the cup that we are going to share with Jesus when he returns. He says, and I'm not going to drink of this cup again until I return. And yet he says, when you drink this cup in the future, remember me. These cups all have a different meaning. Mark Moore does a great job in our book this week explaining these. I'm going to share a little bit about the the detail of this. This is from the Jewish culture in the Passover meal. The first cup here represents the cup when you get to the, the Passover feast at a friend's house or a neighbor's house. And you come in, the host is going to share a bunch of these first cups. It's kind of like the the appetizer meal. and, And they share this cup. And before the night starts, he gathers everyone together and kind of makes a toast. And they always would read from Exodus 6, verse 6. And it says this, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And then they would celebrate and share in this cup together. We don't share in that cup today. But what a rich meaning that God promised the Israelites that he would release them from the bondage of the Egyptians. In in a Passover meal, this would be the first cup. The second cup would be the cup that got them through the main course of the meal. This would be like the the thing that you would drink throughout the mealtime. This cup would, would be offered right before they began to eat. and This is the scripture it's connected to. Exodus 6.6, 6. it says, I will deliver you from slavery. So all the time they were sharing in the meal together, they'd be drinking from this cup, focused on the fact that God promised they would be delivered. What a beautiful cup. God's going to continue to deliver us as well. And then the third cup came. This is the cup that we'll share in just a moment. This is the cup of redemption. Here's the scripture connected to it. It would be after the meal was over and it would be connected to this. It would say, the scripture says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. This cup is a reminder that our God redeems with great power, with great acts. And we fully see that, not just in the Passover with the lamb that was put over the doorpost, but we see that perfectly in Jesus. And when we partake of this cup, we remember that his blood was shed. The Passover lamb, his cup said, well, praise God, the lamb was sacrificed so that the family be saved. Jesus saying, I am the lamb whose blood was shed to save all men and women who trust in me. And when we we share in this cup, we're celebrating his power to redeem. He is the one that shed his blood so that life would be secure, so that death will pass over us spiritually. So what's the deal with the fourth cup? This is the cup that Jesus is waiting for us to share with him together when he returns. This is the cup of great hope. This is the cup of hope that changes everything. Because even if you die on earth, even if if persecution comes to you, even if you're in Afghanistan and you're slaughtered uh, by people based on anger and hatred, in trust in Jesus, you will share with Jesus with this cup again that is the cup of eternal life through what he's going to offer. Jesus says, "I, I eagerly await this cup again with you. This is the cup of hope. It's the image of the bride... And the groom coming together when Jesus returns. Jesus is the groom. We are the bride, the church. Whether you're male or female, as the church, we are known as the bride. And there's going to be this wedding feast when Jesus returns. And we're going to have a banquet table. And this is the cup that we'll all be rejoicing in and partaking with Jesus. What an amazing thing to look forward to. He says I, I will take you and be my people I will be your God it's the same language we see in Revelation 21 look with me to this text he's talking about heaven he says I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God There's going to be a day when Christ returns and we're going to be with Him forever. And the Bible says He'll wipe every tear from our eye. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. And that is what we look forward to being with Him forever. And we've got to continue to look forward to that. We can do that every time we share communion. Hold tight to the cup of hope and trust in Him. The meal looks forward, it's a massive meal. Even though it fits in this little container, it means so much. It's also a meal that we've got to look inward on. This is point number three, if you're taking notes. Communion looks inward. Remember, Jesus shared this with his disciples. He passed it on to Paul. Paul has passed it on to us. Today, for some of you, I'm passing it on to you for the first time. I can remember when my dad passed on the meaning of communion to me. I don't know if any of you got this blessing of growing up, but my dad, for about a year of our life, was in charge of preparing communion at Bethany Christian Church. And we'd go down to the basement of the church on Sunday morning. Uh, Church started about 9. We'd go there about 7.30, and we'd prepare communion. And it was such an honor. And I began to be amazed, probably at five or six years old, of all the little pieces of bread and and how we filled the cup juice. I don't know if you've ever done that. We'd have a special container. You'd, You'd fill it up by a squirt at a time. I was amazed at all that. And then one day, Dad told me something that really amazed me. He says, this has been passed on from Jesus himself. And my dad passed it on to me. And we can pass it on to others we're in relationship with. But this comes directly from Jesus. And before we partake it, we've got to look into our hearts and make sure we're honoring Jesus. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven 27 says, So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. One day my dad kind of caught me trying to kind of uh, pull aside one of those little pellets of, that represent the bread. We used to call them power pellets. Okay, Bad reference, but I would pull that aside and I was going to probably just kind of slip it in. He said, don't do that. He goes, this is serious. If we take this in an unworthy manner, uh, you are guilty of sinning against the blood and body of Jesus himself. It, it, it's something very serious. He, he goes on to say that there are people that suffer and even are sick because they have, they have entered into this without considering their heart. See, this is not, these are not just symbols. Symbols. They're not just for for pretty traditional sake. There's something supernatural that happens when we share in this moment. We are honoring the body and blood of Jesus. It's a holy sacrament. It's not a symbol. There's something sacred that happens here. And we need to evaluate our hearts to make sure that we're honoring Jesus and honoring one another. He says, for this reason, when you don't, he says, those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why among you they're weak and some are sick and a number of them have fallen asleep. He goes, some of you have died because you've abused this. That can still happen today. It's not a threat. It's just reality. If you come into this time and disregard uh, your relationship with God and disregard your relationship with others and you just partake and you take it lighthearted, there is a great consequence. Because if this has the power to continue to renew our mind spiritually, it also has the power to affect us Physically. That may be something you've never heard before, but it's serious. So we need to evaluate and look inward and examine our hearts. You might be thinking, well, I'm never going to protect today. I've sinned this week. You know, if you've sinned this week, you're exactly the person that needs to come to the table. Because we can continually be forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Now, if you're here arrogantly and thinking, I haven't sinned and I want to move forward and just get through this, please don't take this. But examine yourself and say, I have sinned. Uh, Father, against you, and I need your forgiveness, and I repent today, and I come to the table humbly accepting the forgiveness through Jesus. It looks inward. There's one more thing it does, it looks outward. It's the final thing. It's probably the most painful thing, though, this, this week. It looks outward. What, what I mean by this is not only do we look inside our hearts and have a uh, relationship with God, that's communion. We, we commune with him. But in communion, we also commune with one another. So we look outward to the relationships we have with other brothers and sisters, other people. And here's where they were messing up in Corinth. Look what it says. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. And here's what they weren't doing the rich people that invited everyone in their house had these banquet tables set up and they would gather and eat with their rich friends and they would party, some of them would uh, even become drunk and they would eat so much food, the people that couldn't get into the house were on the outside of the house, wishing they could even have a bite and they were hungry. And he says, you've divided yourself so much as a church with those people who, who are rich and a part of your clique and those who aren't, you've made a mess of communion and it's sad, stop it. They were divided. It says, anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. He says, take care of the details of your disagreements and your problems before you come to the table. That that applies and it hurts a little bit today. Because I know there's already some people that aren't here because of some division, some disagreement. Well, it's not on if we're having a smorgasbord and some are getting their bellies full and some aren't. No, that's not what it's about. We're we're no longer disagreeing on some people getting drunk during uh, the worship service, and then some people not allowed to come in. That's not what's about. So, what could be uh, dividing us today? That's making us be divided as a church body. You don't have to think very hard things like masks and vaccines, that we become so divided on personal opinions. And I want you to know there is space for personal opinions. But when we come to the table, what Paul would be saying, leave all of that behind and focus on Christ and him only, crucified, risen, and coming again. Shame on us when we come to the table and we're trying to think if our neighbors mad at us because we didn't agree with them about some opinion of the week. Guys, I look at this text and it hurts me to think that a church was divided over a meal, some two thousand years ago, guys. In much the same way and more, I do not want our church to be divided over a mask or some other opinion. And twenty years ago, uh, twenty years from now, people say, "Do you know that church began to be divided and wouldn't come together for a time because of thing of this world?" Here, here's my my request of you: Commit to not let anything of this world divide us from what's most important at this table. And then work on our disagreements outside of this moment. Those of you are at home, I, I encourage you to continue to, to share with us in this. Those that are here and will continue to be here no matter what, continue though to offer grace to one another in our differing opinions, but know that this is what unites us. And when we mess this up, it'll cost us spiritually and physically. So commit to let nothing divide us of this world. I wonder what's dividing you today, maybe from your husband or your wife, your children, maybe from another brother, sister in Christ. We're going to go into a time of, of decision and challenge and commitment, and we're going to sing a song of decision. Here's my greatest challenge. I really pray that not all of us are singing. Here's what I mean by that. There's other things you can do during this time. I would encourage some of you to Pray. Maybe pray with your spouse say honey uh, let's just pray together let's be more united before we take communion you may need to go to someone across the room and say you know i know uh, that we kind of had an argument earlier this week and i want to make things right and unity between you and i before i go to communion so you may need to move during this time some of you may need to come to the altar and pray for forgiveness because you've been creating division based on your opinion a lot lately some of you may need to leave and I'm okay with that. The preacher said you can leave the service even before it's over. Here's why. There may be somebody you're in a great war with, a great divide, and you need to go and be, be healed with that relationship before you move into communion today. Take a communion with you and share in communion with us outside of this time, but get right with someone first. Or maybe you just need to pray with your family. A lot of your families are here in the room today. It'd be beautiful to see a mom and a dad bring their children together and you pray over communion before we partake together. If none of that connects with you, you can sing. And we can prepare our hearts and look inward, look backwards, look forwards, look inward and look outward, and let's celebrate Christ together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, lead us to move today to take care of relationships that are divided, that are hurt so we can more appropriately honor, remember, and proclaim Christ's death until he returns. We thank you for the the body that has been broken and the blood that's been shed that we can share in. Father, give this church confidence to move right now, to offer some healing, to offer some restoration, so we can truly commune with you today. In your son's name we pray. Amen.